Well, here at the end of the year, we're doing a small mini-series from 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. And uh, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is, is one continuous teaching. It is a, a, a one single unit. I wish there was a way to teach it that way as one single unit. We would need to be here about four hours. Uh, to do that, so since that doesn't really work out very well, uh, as we go through this, these chapters, I want to remind us then of, of what Paul has been pointing out and carry that idea along because it is, these are not standalone uh, chapters by any means. If you remember back in, in chapter 8, you have the Corinthians uh, declaring, we have knowledge. We know that idols are nothing. We know that there is only one true living God. And therefore, because we have this knowledge, it is absolutely fine for us to be able to go into these idolatrous temples and participate in the pagan eating of the foods that are going on in those temples because we know that the idols are nothing, that there's only one God. And remember that chapter 8, you have the Apostle Paul then laying out No, his first reason why that is wrong in chapter 8 is you are causing other people to lose their faith. You are causing them to sin. They see you doing that and think that idolatry is okay. They think it's okay to participate in those things, not recognizing the knowledge that you have, and thus they are falling away. And thus, the end of chapter 8 said he would not ever eat meat if that would cause somebody to fall away. And so that's your your framework that Paul is dealing with is we have this issue of what seems to be idols, but really that's not the big issue. As we saw in, in that first section, it's really about an awareness of others, that we would do things in an awareness of their faith, in understanding where they are coming from so that we would not cause someone to fall away. And you'll notice now in chapter 9 that Paul explores that all the more as he is continuing to emphasize the need to be aware of the faith of others and to be aware of where people are coming from. We may note in the in the last lesson last month that How often we have probably seen where people have used their knowledge that they have spiritually to destroy the faith of other individuals or even destroy churches. And what a devastating thing that is. And here is Paul addressing that very idea and saying, you should not with your knowledge and even with all of your spiritual maturity, wreck the faith of others and to be aware of that very thing. So now notice what we see in chapter 9 he pushes this point even further. We're going to read from uh, verse 1 to the middle of verse 12. Since it's a lengthy reading, we'll take it in piece by piece for our reading. So 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? 
Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Now let's stop there. Uh, this is a section that I think is probably greatly ripped out of context, and so we'll try to put it back in its frame and see the big idea of what the Apostle Paul is doing. You will notice that this paragraph begins with the Apostle Paul noting that as an Apostle, he enjoys all kinds of rights. He says, there's all kinds of things that I can do as a Christian, all kinds of things I can do as an Apostle. And he lists a, a, a vast number of the things that he says that he is able to do. Like in verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? In verse 5, don't I have a right to have a wife? Uh, verse 6, do I not have the right to choose to not receive wages for preaching the gospel? And then he starts just laying all of that out and describing, uh, I have a reason behind why I am describing all these rights that I am refraining from. And he just kind of starts laying it out. There are a number of freedoms that he has. He says there in, in verse 1, I'm free and I am an apostle and, and, I, and you're my workmanship of the Lord. And there's all kinds of privileges and rights and freedoms that I enjoy. But as he lays out in those first few rhetorical questions, he doesn't use any of them. In fact, he pushes that idea by illustrating it by logic in verse 7. Does a, does a soldier ever serve as a, at his own expense? Of course not. And then he uses the planter. Doesn't the person who plants the vineyard eat the fruit? Well, of course he does. And then a little bit further is the one who tends the flock. Do they not also get the milk? So he just uses some logic. And says, obviously, people who are doing about their work expects to receive some kind of fruit or some kind of payment, some kind of compensation for the work they're doing. He then, as we saw in verse 8, pushes it a little bit further and says, the law of Moses says the same. Not only does logic say that a person who works should be compensated, but also the law itself. The ox is not to be muzzled when it treads out the grain. You love the rhetorical question. You think God said that strictly for animals? Obviously, that was a principle that was to be applied to humans. And it wasn't just simply an animal rights issue. This is an issue for all humanity that that would be the same. And so the point that he makes, but then again, back in verses 11 and 12, is obviously we would have a right to payment for our work. And you see that in verse 11 and 12. If we have so spiritual things among you is it too much that we would reap material things as well notice the big idea in just laying out this groundwork is simply there are all kinds of rights and freedoms that we possess he mainly uses the compensation for preaching the gospel as the primary point but he uses a lot of other illustrations with it to point out that he has forfeited those rights. Now watch where he wants to go with that big idea. Look at the middle of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle 
in the way of the gospel of Christ. This now is the big idea and the focal point of the argument. We have all kinds of rights and freedoms and privileges as Christians, as apostles. There's all kinds of things that we have a right to do. But then he backs off of that and says, but the reason we would not make use of that right is because what we want to do is always what is in the best interest of the gospel. And that's why he says, that's why we came to you the way we did. You see Paul make that point in both of his letters. And the whole sense that he's trying to get across them is we did this for your good. Remember, Paul had made that point because he didn't want to be lumped in with the other philosophical peddlers that had come into Corinth who were coming in for the money and coming in for hire. He's setting himself apart from those people. And so that's why he refused this right that he had. For the good of the gospel. And so what you see Paul doing is simply reminding them and saying, you know, we had a right to come in and say we should receive material gain for the work that we are doing spiritually among you. But the reason why we didn't do it is because we want to make sure that we would never put any obstacle, any hindrance in front of the gospel of Christ. That everything Paul is doing is for the interest of the gospel. Everything that Paul is doing is for the interest of the faith of others. In particular, the faith of these Corinthian Christians. Essentially, what Paul is doing is saying, what I'm telling you to do with your freedoms and your knowledge is not something that I'm not doing myself. Sure, you have knowledge and you understand about meat and you understand about idols and you understand that you have a true and living God. But so what? We would never want to do anything that would be an obstacle to the gospel of Christ. So notice how this is the second prong of his argument. Chapter eight's prong was you're causing people to be idolatrous. So stop it. Number two point is, I don't care if you think you have rights, you have the ability to subjugate your rights. Just because you have a freedom doesn't mean you exercise your freedom. Just because you have a right or a knowledge doesn't mean you do it. Now, I think that's a very big deal. And the reason why I think that is a very big deal is because in our society and in our culture, we have been ingrained and we have been told you need to use your rights. You have rights and freedoms and you need to use them to the furthest extent that you can possibly use them. And it doesn't matter who that harms or what the collateral damage is. You have a right. And Paul is saying, yeah, we've got all kinds of rights as Christians and all kinds of freedoms in Christ. But that doesn't mean we demand our rights. In fact, he's pointing out demanding rights not only can cause the spiritual shipwreck of other people in the practice of your rights, which is what chapter 8 was describing, but also is a shipwreck of your own faith because you do not have the proper mind. You do not have the proper understanding. I think it's important to see then what the Apostle Paul is doing. Sometimes, again, this is laid out as, well, what Paul is doing is defending his apostleship. But I want you to see why that doesn't work. 
When you go back to verse 1, when Paul asked the question, am I not an apostle, if the audience would have said no, this whole argument fails. <laughs> you know, like, the answer has to be in their mind, yes, he is an apostle, and look at what he's forfeited. Look at the rights he possesses as an apostle. They're not denying his apostleship. He's using that as the very argument. I'm an apostle, and do you see what I'm doing? Am I taking the wife that I could have? No. Am I eating and drinking as I could? No. Am I being paid as I could be paid? No. He's saying, I am forfeiting these rights. Why? Because the big principle is, That we would live our lives in such a way to never do anything that would hinder the gospel of Christ. That is his big concern. That is what he is looking at is we will endure rather than cause obstacles to the gospel. That's what you have to love what verse 12 says right there. Look at that. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. We'll endure whatever it is. And we can say we've got rights and privileges and freedoms, but if it's going to be a problem in hindering the gospel, we'll just endure it. Doesn't matter if we have a right. Doesn't matter if we have a privilege. And so, friends, I want us to consider in that. That means that we have to watch what we say and watch how we act so that we are not putting hindrances in the way of the gospel. That we would understand the people we are talking to. That we would understand their backgrounds. We would understand the culture. We would understand the values. We would understand their upbringing. We would understand their political ideals. That we would recognize that we are dealing with a very big concept here. And we are not going to talk or act in such a way that is going to hinder the gospel. Yet so often that happens. And notice how Paul is very concerned about that. In fact, notice how he pushes and emphasizes that all the more as he gets there in verse verse, thir- uh, verse um, 13. <clears throat> verse 13, it says there, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Notice he kind of spins that idea again. Do not temple workers share in the sacrifices that are being offered? That would be true on a pagan level. It was true in the law of Moses as well, that the Levites participated in the sacrifices that were being given. And notice the strength of verse 14. He says that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Talk about, Harry, here's how you make a really strong argument. Paul goes, you know that we were commanded by the Lord to receive payment for what we are doing, yet we forfeited that right. (laughs) This is amazing. 
He's like, it's not even a suggestion, but this is the big idea of I want you to see that for your sake, what we could have had every right to demand of you. We chose not to. We chose not to make use of that right in any way. And I want you to notice, I just think the beauty of the heart of Paul. That Paul says in verses 16 and 17 that he says he preaches out of necessity. He says, you know, I want you to understand something. There's the reason I came to you the way that I did. I wanted you to know that I'm not doing this for your pay. I'm doing this out of necessity. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In fact, how many times do you read the Apostle Paul talking about how he is compelled to preach the gospel and that the love of Christ constrains him in his efforts as he must be proclaiming and he must be teaching. It's a beautiful picture of what the work of teaching is all about. And I think it is important to underscore that necessity that you see in the heart of Paul. You do not see in the heart of Paul the idea of, well, you know, it's a job and I can take it or leave it. You know, it's kind of no big deal. And I just kind of, you know, notice that he says, I'm going to do this no matter what. This is something I've been called to do, which is something that I have compelled to do because his burning desire is to reach people with the gospel. That's his big burning desire. That is his big concern. And I think we see a a wonderful display of what preaching of the gospel is supposed to look like. That what you see in the preaching of the gospel is not something you do for the money, but out of a burning desire for souls. I say it should not be something where I sit back and go, well, you know, I just don't know what else to do with my life. Maybe somebody will pay me to preach. (laughs) That's not the attitude Paul has. Paul says, I've got to reach souls. I'm burning with a desire to be able to bring people the gospel. In fact, it's such a burning desire. He says, I will withhold rights and privileges and freedoms, whatever it takes, so that the gospel is not hindered. So that I can make sure that the gospel is spread. In fact, he goes so far in that effort that he says... I could have come to you and said I should be paid because the law says it, logic says it, the Lord commanded it, and yet, what does he say? It's not about that. Preaching is not about the pay. Preaching is not a decision about the money. It's about souls that need to be saved. And I think it is so powerful and so beautiful that for Paul, the goal was not making money. The goal was to present the gospel to as many people as possible. The goal was not to make sure that we have a big house and a healthy retirement and insurance and everything is all padded up for him so that he's all taken care of. He just needs to preach the gospel. That's what you see him doing. That is his big concern. And I want to underscore that because I... I I'm bothered by how many times I see that the idea of preaching is about the money. Then you're not in it for the right reason. Those who proclaim the gospel, they should be able to say of themselves, this is what I have to do. I'm compelled. My burning desire for souls is too great for me to do anything else but this. It's not about the pay. It's not about any other decision. It's not about how much we would make. 
but rather about there are souls that need to be saved. And this is the heart that Paul is expressing. This is how Paul can defend himself to them and express to them, look at what we could have had, but we chose not to. This is what we could have done. We could have asked all these things from you. But you know what mattered more to us? Money didn't matter more to us. You guys did. I wanted to save the Corinthians. And so he came to them that way to try to underscore that idea and this heart that he has in needing to save souls. In fact, you notice it in verse 19 where he escalates it even more. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. I do it all for the pay that I could possibly get from you guys. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. He lays it out. Paul points out, I'm free, verse 1. But notice how he starts this in verse 19. But I make myself a slave. I make myself a servant so that all the more I can win people. And notice how again he is relating to where they are coming from. He says for these freedoms that he has, he subjects himself to the Jews and to the Gentiles to be able to understand where they are coming from to be able to win the gospel, to win them to the gospel and to bring them in for the sake of the gospel. Such that he says such beautiful words in in verse 22. I have become all things to all people that I might save some. I would highlight that verse and say that is the heart of the gospel right there. That it is not about me. It is about becoming all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. That is the life of the Christian and that is the heart that we are to have for souls. I think it is so important to think about then what we say to others for the sake of the gospel. To frame it in that lens. What am I saying to them and how am I becoming all things to all people that I might win them to Christ? How am I showing them the gospel of Christ and not being a hindrance in the conversation that we are having? I'm afraid too often that what we I've seen can happen is the goal is sometimes just trying to win arguments. Rather than recognizing the goal is saving souls and the goal is to not be a hindrance to the gospel in any way. In anything that we say, we need to try to understand where a person is coming from and help them see the glory of Jesus. The reason this is important is here are the the Corinthians and they're saying, but we have knowledge. You know, we've got this all, all this figured out. 
And notice that Paul is crushing that and saying, I don't care how spiritually strong and knowledgeable you are. You make yourself a servant to all. I don't care what you know. I don't care how how up there you think you are. You become a servant of all so that you can win all the more. It's such a radical change of thinking. This picture of being willing to make ourselves a slave, to give ourselves away, to be a servant to all. Or as verse 23, think about the wording of this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may share with them its blessings. I need to become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some so that I can share the blessings of the gospel with them. It is a huge picture that is given to us that we would not be a stumbling block in the path of Jesus, that we must think about it in this way, in the way that we talk to unbelievers, in the way we talk to weaker Christians, and even in the way we talk to stronger Christians. What should control our thinking and control our words is, is this going to be beneficial to bringing them closer to the gospel or is this a hindrance? Am I damaging faith or am I encouraging faith? So often it is easy for us to simply think about here's what I know and not think about the damage we might be causing to the faith of other people. We talk about that with our Bible classes. I, I, I say it somewhat glibly about not saying dumb things in class because you got to think about how other people are hearing that. You can say things in a way that, okay, maybe some people understand, but other people won't. And we say, you know, boy, those people are sure stupid. Well, that kind of person might be in the audience and that really went well. We need to think about what we're saying to people. Whether we're in the community or on the job or here amongst ourselves, you don't know what person is dealing with a difficulty, a weakness, an issue, what unbelievers there are. Because here is what is controlling Paul. I'm going to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. And to the Jews, I'm going to understand where they're coming from and I'm going to work with them. And if it's to the Gentiles, I'm going to go and work with them. If they're under the law or not under the law, I'm going to go with them and I'm going to work with them so that I might by all means save them. I think it's a beautiful picture when you think about what verse 19 is saying. I have made myself a servant to all. And I hope you just let the weight of that phrase hit you. That here is the Apostle Paul. Am I not free? And am I not an apostle? But I have made myself a servant to all. That is the picture that he describes. The goal is not ourselves. The goal is not our rights. The goal is not our freedoms. And the goal is not our say. The goal is the gospel. And thus he says, I do it all in verse 23 for the sake of the gospel. Now watch how this brings this full circle. This last paragraph is sometimes pulled out of that context also. But notice, let's keep it right in there. Because he says, now let's watch out for disqualification. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's his big concern? The reason he does this, the reason that he is a slave to all, the reason that he attempts to become all things to all people is his big concern that he does not want to be disqualified. He wants to share with others the blessings of the gospel and not be disqualified from enjoying those gospel blessings. The last thing that we would want to do, this is what Paul is expressing, the last thing that we would want to do is disqualify ourselves by insisting on our own freedom and rights. By insisting on our knowledge. He says, I don't want to be disqualified. I'm not going to do that. That's why I make myself a servant of all. And thus he uses this imagery of running to receive the prize. You see the discipline that he describes in this, in this running. He doesn't do it aimlessly. And I just kind of would layer that into... That means as a Christian, we are to live disciplined, controlled, directed, intentional, thoughtful, and watchful lives. That's what he's laying out right here. He says, you understand the imagery of running a race and the discipline and control and decisions and thought process that go through running a race to win the prize? Do you understand the control that it takes as every athlete exercises self-control, verse 25, in all things to receive a perishable crown? And in verse 26, I'm not doing this to run aimlessly. I am thoughtful. I am directed. It is intentional. Everything I am doing is for the sake of the gospel. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not as if I'm beating the air. I'm disciplined in my life. I am thoughtful with the things that I say and the things that I do because I don't want to be disqualified. The Apostle Paul lives with such an intensity. But it's certainly a picture then for us is that we would look at how we perceive our lives and the words that we say and the things that we do. Let me push that idea a little bit forward because I think, it, I think this would be helpful in encouraging us in the things that we sometimes neglect. It is very easy for us to make our spiritual consideration simply on the basis of, well, how is it good for me? So, for example, uh, Wednesday night doesn't do me any good, so I won't be there. Or, I'm not going to do these Bible studies because I don't see the value. I don't pray because don't see the point. Things like that. We often make our spiritual decisions in terms of a very individualistic, selfish notion. Well, what is in it for me? Is there a benefit for me? It's kind of like if we're going to put in the time, I want to be able to walk out when I'm done after the hour and say, yep, that's what exactly what I needed. And I want us to think about it in a completely different way. Rather than thinking about our Bible studies or worship or neighborhood studies or ladies studies or Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or gospel meetings and all of those kinds of things. In terms of just simply, well, what am I going to get out of it? 
Please think of it in terms of what encouragement of faith am I doing for somebody else? What good am I doing for the faith of the others by participating? You see, that is what Paul is doing right here. The Corinthians are saying, we have rights and freedoms. You know what? Paul didn't disagree. You're right. An idol is nothing. You're right. There is only one God. But stop thinking about how it only impacts you. Think about the faith of others. That's the big point of chapter 9. Why does he forfeit his rights even though he's an apostle? Why does he do the things that he does? For the sake of the faith of others. For the concern of the gospel into the lives of these people. He will make himself a servant of all. And so often, friends, it is easy for us to fall into the trap. We're all tired. We all have bad days. We're all weary. I thought that... Was that two weeks ago, Fort Lauderdale? Last week, Fort Lauderdale had Hollywood had a gospel meeting. It's Friday night. You know the last thing I want to do to drive to Fort Lauderdale on a Friday night? That sounds like a whole lot of fun. You know that's going to take forever. <laughs> uh, we got our family and we went down on a Friday night and made a deal out of it. You know how much we appreciate when other churches come and help us and support us? makes a big deal to us. Turn it over. Think about the big deal you're making for people when you go to Bible classes, when you're here on Sunday night, when you're there on Wednesday night, when you're a part of those things. Don't think about what are you getting out of it. Think about how much you are helping other people. That is the big deal of the gospel. That is the big deal of what we see happening here. And I think such a big deal because Paul is framing it in this way. We are disqualifying ourselves if we think of the gospel in terms of only how it affects us. We are now running the race in a poor way if we are not looking out of what we can do to be all things to all people. Unbelievers, weak Christians, strong Christians, what can we be to those people? We disqualify ourselves if we refuse to think in those kinds of terms. And that's why we will make decisions that are uncomfortable. We will reach out to our guests that come on Sundays because, yeah, you're like me, I know, shy, timid, scared, afraid. But we reach out because it's not about me. It's about the sake of the gospel and reaching that person. So I'm not going to walk by them. I'm not going to hang my head down. And if I know that they're going through something, I'm going to say something and try to help them and follow up with them. I'm going to engage them with the gospel. This is why we stick around and talk to each other. It's why we try to have other opportunities to get together and we do various things. Yeah, we're all the same in that. Yeah, it's a a Saturday and I don't want to do something. I know I I have all of those things scream into my head too. (laughs) But we have to think beyond ourselves and what our comfort is. And think about what we are going to do for the sake of the gospel. And to put it this way, we must think with gospel intention. We need to think with gospel intention. What am I saying in regards to the gospel to this individual right now? How is this for their faith? 
What is this going to do for them? This isn't about me winning an argument or showing myself superior. How am I encouraging this person? How am I helping them? How are they seeing the, the glory of Christ in the conversation I'm having? I think it is so important to think about this to me was the, the big idea for me that just I let this one, you want to talk about rough edges, and so this is just rolling over me, this phrase over and over again. We give too much weight to how we feel and not enough consideration for the gospel and its effect on others. I'll say it again because it just landed on me when I was working on this. We give far too much weight to how we feel and not enough consideration for the gospel and its effect on other people. And quite simply, it's the product of our culture, isn't it? Our culture tells us to think like this and to be like this and to be insular, to be self-sufficient, be independent. You don't need anybody. Be disconnected. Don't think about other people. And yet here we are seeing the Apostle Paul making the point. If we think about ourselves and we demand our rights and our freedoms, and here's what I have a right to do and I can do what I want to do, Paul says that's disqualification. Paul says, I've got all right, all kinds of rights and privileges that sit before me, and I choose to reject them for the sake of the gospel. We, Paul would agree. There are all kinds of rights and freedoms we possess. But what are we going to do with gospel intentionality to other people? What am I going to do for their faith? What am I going to do to bring them to the knowledge of God? How can I become all things to all people? that I might by all means save some. This needs to be the mind that we begin to adopt. It is essentially how the gospel then takes priority in all of our lives, especially in how we treat other people. It's quite a chapter that he lays out about how the Apostle Paul pictures himself and sees the work and views others. And I hope that we would begin to work on adopting that same kind of thinking. That it is not about me, but that I would become a servant to all. How can I give myself to the assistance of other people for the sake of the gospel? What a beautiful imitation we have by Paul. He'll come in the next chapter and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. After he lays all this up, we could go do chapter 10, you guys. You good? Chapter 10? Okay. Chapter 10. Imitate me. Because that's what Christ did too. And if he imitates Christ, Christ did the exact same thing. Made himself a servant of all for the good of others. And that is our call as well. We invite you to come to Jesus tonight. Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, please think about living with gospel intentionality. To not be so concerned about ourselves, our rights, our freedoms, our feelings, but more about what can we do for the faith of others and the good of the gospel in the lives of others. And we help you in any way once you come now while we stand and while we sing.